0: Candy from Strangers by Mark Coggins is Original, Smart, and Good to the Last Page Says best-selling author and executive producer of the hit TV series Bosch Michael Connolly Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 22 Tangled Web Trudging back to where I parked my car on the mission, I felt like a shipwrecked sailor fighting his way back through the surf to dry land. All my body wanted to do was curl up and sleep in the back of the galaxy, but my head wanted to locate the nearest internet browser and find out why Kittredge had advised me to keep it so cool. My head won out. I assaged my body with a scalding cup of Minimart coffee that tasted like boiled corn pads and then drove to a 24-hour copy center on the corner of Market and Dolores. The only other customer in the place was a smiling homeless guy with about three teeth and long, wispy chin hairs like the anemic roots of a plant. He had a big plastic garbage can of papers, curios, and other oddments sitting on the floor next to him, and he was carefully taking them out one at a time and placing them on the glass of a self-service copier. He would put the lid down and press the copy button, but since he didn't have a credit card in the pay slot, nothing would happen. This didn't seem to bother him. He went through the motions of removing an imaginary copy from the out tray, stacked it neatly on top of other imaginary copies, and continued on with the next artifact from his bag. One of the copy center employees caught me staring at him and said, That's Ralph. Comes in every morning and does the whole routine with a new bag of stuff. I nodded and said, at least it saves on toner. I walked over to the area where they had the PCs you could rent by the minute, and selected a likely looking Windows machine. I'd gotten into the habit of getting Chris or Gretchen to help me with almost everything to do with computers, but I figured at least I could handle bringing up a browser and typing in the address for Carolyn and Monica's website. Getting through the procedure the Copy Center had for renting a computer turned out to be the bigger challenge. I eventually convinced the credit card reader besides the computer to take my card, but almost immediately ran into another roadblock when I tried to click through the Terms of Use Agreement that popped up on the PC screen. For some reason, the Accept button was not active, no matter how many times I clicked on it. The pop-up would not go away. In a desperate act, I actually started reading the five pages of all capitals boilerplate in the dialog box and realized that the process of scrolling through it was the thing that caused the Accept button to become active. I was ready to agree to anything at that point and almost broke the mouse button when I mashed it down. I brought the browser up with comparative ease and typed in the URL for Carolyn and Monica's site. The homepage painted in segments, and what I saw suddenly made me very nostalgic for the boilerplate. The diagonal line in the page dividing heaven and hell was still there, but the pictures above and below the line had been replaced. The picture of Monica and hell was now a smaller version of the macabre pose from the apartment. Clicking on it brought up the larger rendition that I had seen when I discovered her body. As to the change in heaven, someone smarter than me might have anticipated it, but I didn't. In place of the tableau with the cemetery monument, there was a blurry picture of Carolyn's naked torso showing the dragon tattoo. I clicked on it and was treated to a much enlarged version that took up nearly the whole page. Written below the picture was the following caption, The Dragon and the Butterfly, ink on human canvas. The picture had been taken in a darkened room with a bright flash, and a lot of the detail in the highlights had been lost due to overexposure. Carolyn appeared to be lying in bed, but it was impossible to say whether she had posed for the picture willingly, because her head and her wrists and ankles, where she might have been bound, were cropped out of the picture. I leaned into the monitor to study what showed of the room's furnishings, looking for some clue as to the location. There wasn't much to go on—a sliver of blank wall a fragment of bedspread, and a portion of a headboard. The bedspread was a bright turquoise, and the headboard a flossy, white enamel, so Carolyn's bedroom was out of the running, but that was as much as I could determine. I put my nose to the screen, straining to identify the odd-looking metal stand or rack that gleamed faintly in the corner when I heard a step behind me. That's disgusting! You shouldn't be looking at that in a copy center! A kid in a conservative blue suit with a crisp white shirt and a tie made for bankers or morticians hovered over me. He looked all of about twenty. He had a black leather case on his shoulder and held what appeared to be a Bible. I twisted out of my chair. Nobody should be looking at it anywhere, I said. But maybe you should go back to making flyers for the Up With People concert and keep your suggestions to yourself. I went past his startled face to the front entrance there was a payphone by the door. I dropped in a couple of quarters and dialed the number for Mr. Duckworth's residence. He lived all of about three blocks from here, but I didn't feel like walking. Who dares to disturb the glamorous one before 9 a.m., he answered. Who dares wins, I said tartly. What's that, August? The motto for the Hitler Youth? Not unless the nun who taught Latin at my grade school had a big secret. Never mind that. I called because I want to know if there's a way to make a local copy of a website. You mean copy the contents of a site to a personal computer? Exactly. Sure, there are utilities for that. Or you could just go through and save each page to your disk from the browser. I told him briefly about the discovery of Monica's body and what I'd found out about Carolyn. Whoever's responsible decided to post his handiwork on their website, I said. The cops are bound to take the site down as soon as they figure out where it's running so I wanted you to make a copy before it's gone. There was no sound at the other end of the line. Then there was a little throat-clearing noise. Jesus, August, you're creeping me out. Didn't the Japanese girl you found after our gig at the House of Shields have a butterfly tattoo? Yeah, she did. She was also enrolled at the art school. The cops think that's the link between the three of them. The homeless guy with the wispy chin hair smiled and nodded at me as he left with his bag of treasures. I waved goodbye and turned my back to the door. Did she have a website? asked Chris. Who? The Japanese girl. I've no idea, but we're getting off point. There was another long pause. Chris? Yeah, I'm here. I was just thinking about another idea I had for helping you. Thanks, but no thanks. I don't need you pulling another one of your unauthorized plumber squad tricks and getting us both in trouble. If you recall, the last time you did that, I found you trussed up with duct tape in the basement of a house in Daly City. This is different. Sure it is. Now will you do what I ask? Yes. I'll copy the site. Okay, then. Goodbye. Goodbye, he parroted back, but he didn't sound like he meant it. I hung up the phone and went out into the feverish amalgam of people, cars, and clanging antique trolleys that was Upper Market Street on a weekday morning. The good housekeeping fairies hadn't sprinkled any of their magic pixie dust on my apartment while I was gone. It was still in the same jumbled mess it had been when I left the morning before. It was depressing, but that wasn't what made me spend the next two hours working like the crazed broomsticks in The Sorcerer's Apprentice to clean the place up. It was avoidance, plain and simple. After I dropped the last hefty bag full of broken crockery down the garbage chute, and treated myself to the last few sips in the Maker's Mark bottle, I knew I didn't have any more excuses. I had to call Ellen Stockwell. I picked up the phone and dialed her number. There's a certain tone to a man's voice when he sobers up after a drinking spree. It's partly physical. Dehydrated sinuses give him an anoidal timbre, and it's partly emotional. The resonance of a world-weary resignation. Lieutenant Stockwell's voice had that tone. Is Ellen there? I asked after he had muttered hello. She's at the hospital. I hesitated. Dropping this on Ellen was bad enough, but giving the news to Stockwell was an order of magnitude worse. This is Reardon, I said finally. I found out something about what happened to Carolyn that I need to pass on. Save it, said Stockwell. We heard about your after-hours visit. You're lucky the nurse walked in on you instead of me. I would have taken you apart with my bare hands. There was a soft, sighing sound like the air going out of a beach ball at the end of a summer vacation. The line went quiet. Then I heard Stockwell sniff back what I guessed were tears. You know, there was another guy in the department who had a daughter Carolyn's age. His name was Frank Ballou, and he was in Vice. He used to joke that his only job as a father was keeping his kid off the brass pole. Brass pole? Yeah, as in the brass pole that strippers swing from. Right now, if I could trade Caroline's situation for the brass pole, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Maybe it's better we can't make Faustian bargains like that. It's true that the tattoo is bad, but laser... Fuck the tattoo and the laser and your dime store metaphysics. Carolyn tried to kill herself again, swallowed a bunch of pills or something. She's in a coma, and they're not sure when she's coming out. I switched the receiver from one ear to the other to no real purpose, and slumped down on the arm of my living room sofa. When did this happen? I asked quietly. They don't know for sure, but they're guessing sometime in the early morning. Do they know what she took? Not really. They're guessing some kind of tranquilizer. Had they prescribed any for her? Stockwell growled into the line. Yeah, they gave her a big bottle to put on her bedstand and told her to swallow a handful whenever she felt blue. Think I didn't already ask all these questions? Sorry, I said. I forgot what you do for a living. I've got to tell you something else, though. A beat went by. What else could there be? I found Carolyn's friend Monica dead in an apartment last night. She was murdered. She had the beginnings of a tattoo like Carolyn's on her shoulder, but she tried to have it taken off. Whoever killed her updated the girl's Heaven and Hell website with new pictures of both girls. The one of Carolyn showed a close-up of her tattoo. The one of Monica was a ritualistic pose taken after she died. Who did it? I don't know. The SFPD think it was one of the teachers at the art school. The detective, a guy named Kittredge? That's him. He left a message on the machine, but there hasn't been time to call back. You're saying you don't like the guy he tapped? I don't really know, I said slowly. It could be him. He's Carolyn's advisor. And he took pictures of both girls. You mean like naked pictures? Like that. There was an outright sob, and Stockwell went away for a moment. You don't have any conception, do you, Reardon? He said when he came back. Holding a job as a cop and keeping a marriage and family together have almost always been irreconcilable goals. But to get kicked off the force, have both of my children kill themselves and lose my wife to a clown like you, leaves me with bupkis. I've failed at all the things that matter most. Listen, Stockwell, I... Shove it, Reardon he said in a flat, emotionless tone. You're off the case. Don't ever call here again. You have been listening to Candy from Strangers, a book mystery scene magazine described as crackling and whip-smart. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.